What kind of fun is waiting for you at King's Island? The holy cow, we're way too high and here comes the drop kind of fun. The make a splash all summer kind of fun. The I can't believe I ate that whole funnel cake. Let's get another kind of fun. But most importantly, at King's Island, you'll find for the fun of it kind of fun. Don't wait to start your fun this season. King's Island is now open weekends. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. Pitaya. Hi, everyone. I'm Jenny, and this is Hyphenated, a podcast about living in the hyphen. And I am here today with an award-winning documentary filmmaker and co-director and co-founder at O Cinema. And most of you will know him because he is one of the creators behind Mucho Mucho Amor, The Legend of Guardemegado, which was one of the top documentaries on Netflix for a very long time. It was talked about so much, especially within our community. Please welcome Kareem Tabsh. Yay! Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, and thank you for wearing a Miami Heat hat. Uh, <laughs> a- a- anything to cover up this bald spot. Hi, Yomi. Anything. Let go, Heat. That's You're right. Like, no, let's not go, Heat. It's very hot there. I love to tell you I know much about Miami Heat, but I know that it is Miami and that there's pink on it, and that's basically the decision process that I bought Bro, this hat from. So it's very relatable because uh, I don't know anything about sports. Same. Now, before we, you know, delve into mucho mucho amor and talking about our favorite Huerta Megalo, I want to ask you first about what led you to becoming a documentary filmmaker. Like, how did you get your start? And talk to us also about your production company. Yeah, totally. So how I got my start, so like, you know, I'm a first generation American child of Cuban and Lebanese immigrants uh, who basically said I had uh, two options. I would say to become a doctor or a lawyer. Uh, and they <laughs> clearly, clearly thought much more of me than, than of what I was capable of. Because <laughs> I was like, ah, oh, no, nah, I don't like school. I don't like people. I'm not going to school for that long. Uh, I always like to joke is that they pinned the hopes on me. My older brother was uh, kind of the troublemaker. My younger brother was kind of dopey. And they're like, Cruz, <gasps> like the good kid who doesn't say bad words. He's just going to be somebody. Neo bueno. Fast and forward. Nino Bueno. Very clearly, they were very bad at this. Uh, both, <laughs> my, both of my brothers have like master's degrees and are like you know families, and I'm like working this like you know weird industry. Uh, but <laughs> that's my long way of saying I had no idea what I wanted to do for a very long time, uh, and I got it to film on the exhibition side. I started working at film festivals, and I love that. And then slowly um, but surely realized there wasn't really like an art house movie theater in Miami. And so with Vivian Martel, we co-founded O Cinema uh, and brought uh, Kevin on board, Matt and other folks, uh, Rick, and helped build that up. Because, yeah, I mean, for for those who don't know, Kevin, our producer on the podcast, King Carajo's Kevin, also used to work at O Cinema. And also, I I, I remember like I, I got to hold it, like auditions there for like 
projects. And I used to, hilariously enough, um, participate a lot with the film festival that was held there called I'm Not Gonna Move to LA, <laughs> which was like a monthly uh, festival where they would screen Miami filmmakers works. And so I was always at O Cinema for those either because I was an actor or because it was stuff that I had produced. It's it's truly a magical place. And I and and it's how I became friends with Kevin to begin with. So this is like a nice full circle thing. And so after doing that for a while, I was like, you know, it's great championing other people's stories and like the films that they want to do. But there's like so many like I'm weird and I like weird things and weird people and weird stories. Mm -hmm. And I live in Florida, which is like, <laughs> you know, the epicenter of weird. It's a wellspring of of inspiration here. Uh, and so I was like, well, uh, my first short was about the world's most pampered cat. It's like, oh, I have this idea. And friends of mine were like, yeah, you should do that. You should you could become a filmmaker. Um, and that was like a really crazy notion. But like, honestly, having other people inspire me and like almost give me permission that I could be a storyteller after having been a film curator for such a long time hmm. was what I needed to get started. And so that's, you know, it started as a hobby, self-funded, crowdfunding. First short was Sherry Pop, uh, which was great. It had a nice little life. Actually, I saw one of your very first documentaries before knowing who you even were, before What the McGallo. Correct me if I'm wrong, it was called Dolphin... Dolphin Lover. Dolphin Lover, yes. Dolphin Lover, which I should explain, is a true story about a man who had a romantic and sexual relationship with a captive bottlenose dolphin in 1970s Florida. Uh, it, it's, uh, it's a great movie. It pairs well with a bottle of wine and a fun evening. Uh, is what I like to describe it as. I'll tell you what, I saw it twice. <laughs> <laughs> Jenny, it's just too, it's too much about you right there. <laughs> too much about you. <laughs> Because, well, you know what? I, it's my husband's fault because we, we stumbled upon it the first time we watched it because it was fascinating because I, too, am weird. And I love learning about people and their psychology and why they do what they do. So, again, I'm also a big, I love animals, not in that way, but <laughs> <laughs> I've always read up on dolphins. I love dolphins. I think dolphins especially became a hot topic during uh, the Elian Gonzalez times. Um, and so I was like, wow, they're very intelligent creatures. And I'm like, oh, they rape people. Okay. Um, interesting. <laughs> That's why I was fascinated. And I, it's why Dolphin Lover drew me in because I was like, what? And then my husband, when we had friends over at one point, He's like, you got to watch this documentary. <laughs> so, you know, we watched it with like a bigger group of friends. Um, but yeah, no, I completely see why. And I think I think that's so fucking cool because who else is going to tell these stories, right? Yeah. And let's be honest. I know I'm not the only one who must have tuned in for the same reasons. Like, what? I, this man in Florida in the 70s in love with a dolphin? Honestly, I cannot tell you how, I mean... It's almost the piece of work that I've made that comes up almost more often than anything else. In some ways, maybe even more often than Mucho Mucho more. Or at least when people like make the connection, it's always like surprising. Like, you did that? And I'm like, yeah. And I'm like, oh, wow, that's, that's amazing me. that people have discovered. <laughs> like, yeah, that's me. I'm not the dolphin lover. I just made the movie about the dolphin lover. But it was so well made. It was, it was very, very well made, I think. Of course, the topic is fascinating and it's going to get giggles from people of all ages, but, you know, it, it's a very well-made documentary. So when I found out you were also going to be doing Mucho Mucho Amor, I was like, oh my God, this is going to be 
absolutely incredible. Thanks. When did Mucho Mucho Amor air again? Was it now three years ago? Oh, man, it's almost three. Uh, so it premiered in 2020. We, we actually so like wow, it came out yes. right like right in the, in in the midst a few months into the pandemic that is which was oh. which was kind of like awesome because it was like needed like you know Walter's that kind of like he's so much magic and joy and love and like I know the world is a you know a garbage can on fire as it usually is but particularly so during the pandemic so it was like a nice little pick me up so yes it's a little it's a little over two it's a little over two years now since it's been out. Freaking Mucho Mucho Amor was a, a masterpiece to me. I grew up, like many people, watching uh, Walter Megalo with my abuela. My abuela took his word, like, more than the Bible. And me and my grandma were both Scorpios. Our birthdays were two days apart. And so I feel like we were very connected in that. So, like, every time the horoscope would come out for Scorpio, she would, like, share it with me. And, um... And so when it came out, it was a very emotional experience because it's a story that I didn't really know. To me, Huarte Megala was such a mystery persona. And I'm like, what is their story? (laughs) How did they get here? So I would love to know how that documentary came to be. So, you know, very kind of similarly, uh, I had the same Walter Megala experience uh, of just like him being a constant presence in my in the tele, in my in my home right like in in the culture like he was there you could have kind of turned a tv on any day and not see him or in a newspaper or in a magazine um mm-hmm. and you know it's it's one of those things that i thought was like particularly in miami too i was there's that moment where like i'm like it's i i equate this has happened twice to me one was what the mccall i thought was like a miami thing you know like he's everywhere but it's, it's miami of course somebody like this would be famous in miami uh-huh. Uh, my other the other experience I had that with was Pitbull, and I remember <laughs> like I remember being in a cab in San Francisco and Pitbull's playing, and I'm like, you you guys know who this is? I thought he was I thought this was a guy who like sold his tapes at like flea market USA on 79th Street in Miami, and only people in Miami <laughs> played him. So the discovery that Walter McCullough is this huge cultural thing uh, as I got older was was fascinating. But I also was like, he's this who is this amazing magician? Um, and so the way it, it it came to be, I had made a uh, I had made a my first feature documentary was called The Last Resort. It was about 1970s Miami Beach when it was the largest enclave of Jewish retirees in the country. I made it with my friend Dennis Scholl. Um, it was mm. a it was a small film, but it did really really well. It played in New York for a month and in South Florida for like three months. It was like really great. And then it was like follow up, like oh, what do I want to do next? Uh, I was in New York and my buddy, Andrew Evia, who, uh, was one of the people who helped get me started in, in making films said, Oh, do you know Alex Fumero? Uh, I'm like, I know of him, you know, don't know who he's, don't know him in person. He's like, well, he's, he's an executive HBO. You should meet you guys. We're going to get along like a house of fire. So we had like lunch at Bryant park and he's like, you know, we're talking about the movie, uh, the last sort that I had just made. He's like, what are you doing next? And I'm like, or he's like, oh, what do you have coming up that you're excited about? I said, you know, what I'm really excited about is I'm going to Walter Mercado's estate sale in Miami. Ah. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 bacon bundle. Because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the bacon cheese slider, 1921 bacon cheese slider, or chicken bacon ranch slider. And also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 bacon bundle. 
White Castle, follow your crave. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We all heard about that one, by the way. I was, I was like, why can't I be there? <laughs> it was, I mean, it was like getting invited to the inauguration Bro, or like for real. this funeral. Like that was, this would have been, this was more exciting than either Bonio. of those things, you know? Yeah. I'm like, what? What? The-? And just because like vieja chismosa that I am, I just wanted to poke around and see what Walter <laughs> Mercado had in his house. Uh, and uh, and uh, I said, you know, I'm going to that. I'm really excited about it. And uh, uh, I wanted to like, you know, I wanted to buy like uh, a cape or some tchotchkes or something. And Hell Alex yeah. said, right? <laughs> like, who doesn't? Like, who doesn't? Alex said to me, man, if there's ever a documentary I wanted, I would love to do or I'd love to see or love to be part of this, something on Walter Mercado. And I'm like, well, I want to buy a cape, but I also kind of want to see if there's a way to like meet the family or get connect. How do I how can I get uh, to Walter? Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and he's like, well, listen, if you make connection, let me know because I would love to help you with it. So, uh, this is, it's a very long story. I'll try to make it very short. Uh, I'm very verbose as you can tell, <laughs> you can tell. No, this is great. I, this I, is very I detailed go, and necessary. <laughs> I go to, I go to the estate sale. I meet Walter's, I, I see Walter's house, uh, his condo in Miami. It's exactly what you'd imagine it, uh, to be Walter style, but in Miami, uh, I meet one of his nieces. I give her kind of like, you know, the quick elevator pitch. I'm like, yeah, I'm a documentary filmmaker. I love to make He's like, She's like, oh, okay. Uh, well, you know, I could reach out to my uncle and see if he's interested. You know, we'll see. And I kind of like give her my card or something. And then I go back two days later, the last day of the sale, which is when you get the real good deals anywhere. Claro, always. Um, and I go in um, and uh, I kind of chat with her again. She's like, you know, I think you'd be really into it. She gives me her number, her email address. She's like, send me a note. I come back and uh, and talk to uh, Alex about it. And we schedule what would be our first production call for this idea of making a documentary. And half an hour before that, he gets a phone call uh, from a friend and former co-worker, Christina Costantini. He's like, mm-hmm. I hear you're obsessed with Walter Mercado. So am I. I want to make a, a, a film about him. And Alex was like, you're OK, you're not going to believe this. I'm already making a movie about him and uh, making it with uh, director Kareem Tapsch. And we're talking in 30 minutes, but I think you all will get along. So, like, maybe we should see if there's a there there. And so Alex kind of, like, into the matchmaker, puts us together. And uh, and we have this 45-minute phone call. And at the end of it, we decide, never having met in person, that we are going to make this film. And we're going to co-direct it. Oh and God. now all we have to do is convince Walter. That's all we yeah. We just got to convince Walter. <laughs> all we have to do is convince Walter. Ay, Dios mío. But, you know, we we, we send email, kind of lay out our vision. We kind of go through our pitch, how we're going to present it to him, rehearse it. And we have a call set up. And I remember this call so vividly. It was like Walter and his, his office, which was like his assistant, Willie, who's in the film, his secretary, Wilma, some of his nieces. And like, being a Latino, I could say this, uh, and we we all understand this. Everyone talks at once all over each other. So it was like calling into like the only thing you could describe it is is calling into like a birdhouse where like toda la cotorra. Like, I'm like, I, it was like a cacophony. 
And then like the uh, tiki room in Disneyland, like the tiki room in Disneyland. Exactly right. Less music, more loud. <laughs> uh, and we kind of they get quiet. They're like, let us and we give our pitch. We talk about everything we want to do. And it's very it's like at that point, it's a pin drop. And then Walter says, uh, OK, I like this idea, but I only have one question. Oh, my God. He's like, what are your astrological signs? I no, he, and I he, have he to. Asked, I, I have to tell you what a legend. that of the of all the things we could imagine that we've come up, and this says a lot about how we were not necessarily prepared, right? This is the last thing we expected. <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm a Libra. Christina is a Libra. <laughs> Alex, uh, unfortunately, is a Sagittarius. Uh, and I guess that that was the right answer because I, after he said that, he's like, "Okay, I will do it." No me diga. I mean, it was that simple to start. Thank God, none of you were Scorpios. That's it. Exactly Thank God. Right. Can you, you imagine? Know, like one of us could have been a Leo, and it would have, and then there would be no mucho mucho more today. But hold up. So, like, do you think he was calculating like the chemistry between all of you? What is Walter's sign again? I I always forget this. Don't kill me. I think Walter is an Aries. This is the other big secret. Although being Pisces. He's a Pisces. Okay. Being a team of filmmakers that made a film about Walter Mercado, the world's most famous astrologer, none of us are really believers in astrology. So I can't remember when the hell anyone's sign is or what it means. But obviously he knew he, it he well. Did, he did. Apparently it was a good combo. And yeah. could you imagine like if, I don't know, what if, what if, what if you. He would always say like, things like that though too. He's like, oh, wow. tu, y, y tu pareja? And, your, and, your, and your boyfriend or your to Christina and your husband, what sign is he? He's like, oh. Very passionate or, oh, lots of trouble. And I was like, I, I don't know what any of this means. I, I don't know any of it. And I can't remember any of it because I've never, like, I don't know this stuff. I'm like, shit. I, I should like walk around with a pad writing stuff down. Um, Bro, I would have. I'd be like, Martin, please, true. when my life wasn't going. Um. <laughs> I well, You know, the funny thing is like in the process of making it, we, we all went in saying, you know, nobody asked for an astrological reading. Nobody asks for life advice. Like, absolutely not. It's completely unprofessional. This is his yeah. job. Don't do this. Yeah, yeah. And um, in fact, I think on our first shoot, somebody kind of did. And then we were like, oh, pulled her aside. Oh, don't I... ever do that again. But very discreetly. But so none of us did it. But slowly but surely, Walter read all of our natal charts <laughs> for us uh, in that he offered. And yeah, I God. so I have my natal chart done by Walter that I have to get framed and like dedicated. Dude. Yeah. It's, holy it's, shit. It was amazing. That is an honor. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, it is. It is. Bro, like, wow, okay. <laughs> I'm just like fangirling and just also really jealous, but continue. <laughs> <laughs> I mean that honestly, like that's exactly what I was for like the two and a half years that we made the and we were making the movie. I was like fangirling oh, every so day. So you were with him for two years. How often years, were you yeah. filming? Um, we were probably uh, every other month, maybe more or less. Um, so okay. Walter lived in San Juan, Puerto Rico, and I live in Miami. Christina had just relocated to LA. Alex was moving from New York to LA. Uh, and so, yeah, so it was probably about once every other month or so we would go for a week to 10 days and shoot with them. Or maybe once every three months. I mean, it kind of varied, but we were there fairly mm -hmm. often. Yeah. And spent quite a bit of time with him. I mean, you know, I, I would love to be able to tell you some kind of crazy nightmare story because it would be make for a good story. But the reality is it was like a sheer pleasure every moment you were with wow. him. He was uh, amazing, funny. Uh, I mean, really, really funny. Like just oh. funnier than you can imagine. 
and incredibly smart. I I really think probably the smartest person I've ever met. Wow. Certainly the most well-read person I've ever met. Like his house, which you see in the film, is like, Uh you know, always over the top. But there's kind of like a a more casual living room upstairs. And it was just like all the walls were like covered in books. He must have had, I mean, I'm not an inventor. He must have had like 10,000 books. Like, and on every subject you imagine, like world history, culture, art, sexuality um spirituality religion and he was such like such an intelligent person i think that that ultimately was kind of uh the his brilliance is how he mixed all of those into this like particular one striking image uh but every time like every moment we spent with him was like a sheer delight he was um he was the best he was the best but you know we we went in making this movie about like this childhood icon icon of our culture this magician um and what we didn't realize is like we we're gonna be we were actually making a movie about aging like you know in the in the two years or two and a half years we spent with him we you know we went in from meeting somebody who was like first of all he did not talk about his age or ever admit his age but mm-hmm. he was like spry and going up and down the stairs he'd throw himself on the floor to play with his dog and he was like getting on a maca and a hammock and he'd do those things and, you know, by the time we were done, he could barely walk. Oh, my gosh. Like, and you witnessed that. And we witnessed it, which is, you know, difficult. And when you're spending that much time with someone and at that point in their life where they're, uh, where, you know, their body is slowly shutting down, it's, mm-hmm. you know, you get incredibly close. We became incredibly close. Alex and I were pallbearers at his funeral. Oh, my goodness. I did not know that. It was a, It was an incredible experience and relationship to have. Uh, and then you really think you're making a movie about Guatemala, but you're making a movie about your abuelos. You're making a movie about, you know, a generation that's changing and a sh- you know, kind of a shifting of a guard and culture. Oh my and, God, uh, Kareem. So it's, it, it was a lot. It was a lot. You are destroying me right now. Yeah, you know, it was, it was I felt it when I watched wonderful. it, but I couldn't put words to it. And it's like, I'm like, why was this so emotional for me? And I realize now, yeah, it was also a documentary on our grandparents. Yeah. You know, my grandparents are no longer here. They passed in 2016, you know, and it is. It's like this generation that I personally try to still keep alive in my videos. And I know a lot of parents kind of like they're scared because all all of this is kind of going away. Yeah. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Let go with Ego. Existen dos tipos de personas en el mundo. Los que prefieren un desayuno dulce con frutas, dulce de leche y un jugo de naranja. Y los que prefieren un desayuno salado con chorizo, huevos rancheros y un café. Pero sin importar qué tipo de persona eres, hay algo que a todos les va a gustar. Los crujientes y esponjosos Ego Waffles. Ya sea que te guste un desayuno salado, con huevos o salsa picante encima de tus waffles, o seas más dulcero y los prefieras con mantequilla y miel. Encuéntranos en el pasillo de desayunos congelados. Lego with Ego. Yeah, it's funny. You said your your grandmother was born two days before you. My grandmother's birthday is a day before mine. Wow. Uh, uh, and my grandmother is still alive. She literally just turned 97. <gasps> Bless she's still her. sharp as hell. Uh, physically, Ay. like she's, she's lost most of her, all of her mobility in the like the last couple of years. Sí. But she's still really uh, she's still really sharp and really, 
and could be really, really sassy. And she actually reminds me of Walter in that way. And that even though when yeah. he was slowing down, he was still very sassy. Uh, <laughs> but I hear you. I mean, it's, uh, you know, in a, in a lot of the kind of movies I like to make and the characters I'm drawn to, um, it's, it's about, you know, it's about a lot of it's about older folks, but also like in telling mm. one story, you can kind of tell a larger one. So the story of Walter Mercado, this icon of our culture, um, you know, we can tell a larger story about this uh, this amazing generation, right? And somebody mm-hmm. who within that generation is a huge pioneer, right? He was so ahead of his time in uh, in representation and just the way he embraced the world. Walter Mercado was a queer icon, even though. You know, he never came out as queer. Working with him those years, did he ever express his thoughts on modern day LGBTQ plus issues? Did he ever like just brush upon the subject at all? Even if he didn't try to make it personal to him. Yeah, you know, I think, it, it, you know, going into making the film, I mean, as a young queer person myself, when I saw Walter on TV, I, I had this sense of simpatico. I don't know that I knew what gay was at that point. But I think I saw Walter on all his otherness, right? Um, and I somehow related to that, right? There's like a synergy. And like me, there was uh, thousands and thousands of other queer folks uh, around Latin America and the U.S. who had a similar experience in walking, wa- watching Walter. Um, and uh, I had going into it, had hoped that, you know, Walter was going to finally come out. He was going to express his sexuality. And I think what, what we really realized is that Walter, you know, uh, was of a different generation uh-huh. where you didn't talk about those things. You didn't talk about them if you're heterosexual. You I mean you didn't? There wasn't folks who were telling you who you know who they slept with or when they how that you know. There was just generationally you didn't talk about that. And moreover, it was dangerous, right? Like he was in a small island in Puerto Rico. If he would have come out, it would have not just been uh, the end of his career. It would have also been could have put his life in danger. Um, I did have a conversation with him. We were filming, and the same week that we were down there, a young Puerto Rican uh, queer trap uh, artist was murdered, uh, mm-hmm. seemingly because of their sexuality. And I mentioned it to him, and you know, he thought it was awful. And he was always really supportive of queer folks. He always said they're so brave, and he loved the idea that people were coming out and that we should be embracing. And it was a real kind of hard thing to grapple because it's like, here's somebody who is so queer right like embodies such a a queerness to him um and didn't you know never articulated in words and i think that that was kind of the reality for me was like you know walter walter did it always he didn't say it he just showed it who he was Mm -hmm, right mm -hmm. from his arrival on the scene he lived his life as authentically as he could on his own terms Pushing the boundaries of gender norms of, you know, what men were, were allowed to do or say or dress or speak yeah. like or live, um, you know, always. I mean, you know, do we there is archival we uncovered of him talking about like this the kind of like the gender binary that was 30 mm-hmm. years ago. Right. Like now we talk about this in, in places and in, in, in progressive circles of folks who are like, oh, yeah, we're all genders on a binary. Walter was doing that decades before. So in in essence, even though he didn't necessarily put a, a label on it or um or or you know march down the pride parade or 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 self identified in a vocal way, he was always who he was, and in doing so, he was always encouraging others to be who they are. 
And that was the message that he spread for like decades, right? His message was one of love, of self-acceptance, of mutual acceptance, of like be who you are and who you are is wonderful enough and you are loved and I love you for who you are. And so in that, I think he's the most queer, most revolutionary figure that maybe has come out of Latin America in the last decades. And um, and folks like Truly. me, tons of other queer folks uh, uh, in our culture are, are all the better for it. You just worded it so wonderfully. And it's really interesting because so many of our families, and let's just be honest here, you know, they weren't all about that. They weren't about <laughs> acceptance in that way, but then they all loved Wadid, which is fascinating. But I never once ever heard anyone, at least in my circles or my family, talk about how Wadid represented himself, or they never talked about what they thought his sexuality was or how he dressed. So I, I just always thought that was very interesting because I'm like... Would they have felt any differently had he actually said it out loud, vocally, you know? Yeah. But I think he was still an icon for the queer community and an activist in his own way by simply existing and allowing himself to be who he was. Yeah, totally. No, I look, I, I, I think, you know, we, we always we, we stand on the shoulders of the giants who came before us and the way that they paved the, uh, the path for us um varies right and there's not one way towards acceptance there's not one way towards building a better world like we need all the ways and uh and walter's way was maybe not talking about it because maybe he knew that that was going to shut out uh, a large segment of the population um you know which was and you know still is very conservative very catholic and so by not necessarily doing that but by still kind of coming out and challenging our preconceived notions of masculinity and femininity mm. of uh of behavior of language of dress of make like and always doing it with this message of like promoting acceptance of one another and of yourselves and doing it centering in love i think it, it really kind of paved the way for for folks like us uh, at the very least to be for a lot of folks i would say to like feel like we weren't the only ones out there Mm -hmm. And we've come such a long way. We've come such a long way as a community. We've come such a long way as oh a, my God, yeah. a country, as a world. In this, you know, and and it, we have a long way to go still. But uh, you know, we get folks like Walter who were pioneers and kind of making it better. And now, like it's each one of our jobs to make it better for the next folks who come around. Absolutely. So please talk to us about what you have going on down the pipeline. Yeah, totally. Uh, so the follow-up to to the Walter Mercado experience into making Mucho Mucho Amor, which is on Netflix if you haven't seen it, uh, is that Alex Fumero and I uh, started a company together. We started a production company uh, inspired by that collaboration called Trojan Horse Media. And it's because uh, we're focused on like Trojan horsing uh, ideas, particularly of our culture, Latino culture. Um, yep. And uh, and that's kind of like what we did with Mucho Mucho More. I think it's like you come in expecting one thing and see another. And, and we're hoping to do that a couple of other times and have done it a couple of other times. Uh, earlier this year, uh, we co-produced Menudo Forever Young for HBO mm -hmm. Max, which is a four-part docuseries about uh, boy band Menudo. We released a couple of podcasts recently. Uh, I released one earlier this year called Paradise Lost crime in miami it's a true crime podcast about crazy south florida crime stories we had a great podcast called crumbs about uh emmy olea a latina trans woman and her experience in the dating scene and uh alex fumero my business partner creative partner 
just released a, a podcast that's coming out now called um, More Than a Movie, American Me. And it is mm-hmm. a look at the iconic movie uh, American Me directed by Edward James almost in 1982, which is just celebrating its 30th anniversary and was uh, pivoted to be a cha- game changer for Latinos in Hollywood and went in a different direction. Um, but it's a fascinating uh, deep dive into that movie. Uh, and coming up, we recently announced our forthcoming docuseries for Disney's Onyx, and that's called Gigante. And that is a, uh, a four-part docuseries about the Latino origin story told through the lens of Sábado Gigante and Don Francisco. So we're just oh, starting production man. on that one. Uh, <laughs> and it's going to be a, it's, it's gonna be a hoot. Uh, Ay, Dios mío. Yeah. It's gonna be a good time. <laughs> I used to work at Univision and I would like pass him all the time and like La Cuatro. And I've incorporated so much of my comedy based on, I mean, we did a, a spank show at UCB, me and the Tonga girls called Wow Que Show. And it was about Salo Gigante. Oh, and like the nostalgia of Latino television, specifically through like the Univision lens. So we, made, we had like um, Caso Cerrado and yeah. Primer Impacto. And like right now, me and Kevin just wrapped our big annual Halloween parody and we're doing Scooby-Doo, Latino Scooby-Doo. I love it. And our villain is a Chacal de la Trompeta. Like it's based nice. on a Chacal de la Trompeta. So That's amazing. my whole life, I watched every, almost every Saturday with my abuela. And Laura, by the way, Laura Di Lorenzo, one of the Tonga girls, she used to be one of the little kids on Salo Gigante. Oh, funny. <laughs> it's one of those things. It's like... It, it, it's like it's part of our culture. It's also like folks in real life. It is the longest running variety television program in the history of television in the world, like longer than anything else. So we're See. super excited about doing the deep oh my dive. God, yes. Mario, also known as Don Francisco, is super excited about opening up the vaults of like 53 years worth of like memories and amazing archival. And, uh, and so we're stoked. So that's what's coming next. We got a bunch of other projects in development. So uh, you will inevitably hear more about us because as relentless Latinos, we will continue making noise. And where can people follow you on social so they can be up to date on your projects? Uh, so Instagram is the best one to follow me. Uh, Instagram and Twitter both are at Kareem Tapsh. So it's at K-A-R-E-E-M-T-A-B-S-C-H. Uh, and you can follow our company at Trojanhorse.media on Instagram. Amazing. Well, we would definitely love to have you and Alex back to discuss Gigante when that comes out, because that's going to be Gigante. Un aplauso. Gracias. Gracias. <laughs> Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Let go with Ego. Existen dos tipos de personas en el mundo. Los que prefieren un desayuno dulce con frutas, dulce de leche y un jugo de naranja. Y los que prefieren un desayuno salado con chorizo, huevos rancheros y un café. Pero sin importar qué tipo de persona eres, hay algo que a todos les va a gustar. Los crujientes y esponjosos Ego Waffles. Ya sea que te guste un desayuno salado, con huevos o salsa picante encima de tus waffles, o seas más dulcero y los prefieras con mantequilla y miel. Encuéntranos en el pasillo de desayunos congelados. Lego with Ego.